When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads and today's episode is with a dynamic husband and wife couple, Omo and Yolanda Osegede. They are behind the online platform called Hey, Dip Your Toes In or H-D-Y-T-I, T-I basically and they share content and global food and travel, as well as highlight multicultural experiences and perspectives. They're firm believers in how diversity in their communities can be a source of strength. So I'm pretty, pretty excited to have them on, especially as they have a very, very strong affinity for my country of birth and the only passport I possess, Nigeria. Welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for us. having us, Tyra. Uh, the, the pleasure is mine. So... Both of you come from different countries. I, I'm very interested in finding out how you met and where both of you consider yourself to be from. Uh, that's a very interesting yeah, question because it, um, it just always makes us smile. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was born in Nigeria and uh, my, my parents are Yoruba and Benin. Grew up in Lagos and went to university in Benin, did some work in Lagos after graduation and then eventually moved to England in my mid twenties, mm. uh, to basically progress my career with uh, an international accounting firm, right. and um, yeah, Yolanda moved to uh, well, Aleha. Yeah, well, <laughs> you got to tell my story, honey. Sure. <laughs> well, originally, uh, my family was military, so we moved around a little bit when I was younger from the U.S., um, but spent most of my time growing up in Colorado in the state of Colorado, wow. uh, but, you know, had lived in New York, had lived in Alabama, um, had a Southern accent as a young kid, but now quite, you know, I, I always like to say a bit accentless, but moved to uh, England in 2011 for my graduate degree, uh, and decided to actually step into the world of online dating there, uh, by the, I, I guess the persuasion of my current, my flatmate at the time. And so she just basically encouraged me to kind of put myself out there. 
And I really wasn't into, you know, going into pubs and meeting people because she was like, you know, that's really how people meet here. You know, people meet in pubs. And I was like, is that all? Don't they meet somewhere else? Come on. (laughs) You know, so she's like, well, have you ever tried online dating? I said, yeah, I've I've tried it before, but I wasn't really, really, I didn't really take it seriously. So I decided, you know, why not go for it? And within the first two weeks, uh, I got this message from this um, very handsome Nigerian man named Omo. Omo! And, um, you know, it's so funny because it was completely different from the other messages I'd received. Like, I felt like he actually read my profile. Um, It wasn't like a cut and paste, like, you know, I like long walks on the beach and um, your eyes. There's something about your eyes. It wasn't anything like that. It, it was. It was just real. I didn't do cheese. I, I keep it real. <laughs> I keep it real. Kept it real. Yeah. Oh, he did. Fuck. So yeah, we just we just kind of hit it off in terms of just talking. We talked for I don't know what three three weeks or so before he actually was like, hey, let's go out. And honestly, at that point, I just thought it's probably just going to be friendship. You know, I, I think he'll become a great friend because he's not. He hasn't asked me out hasn't asked to, you know, go out on a date or anything, but then he did. So from there, uh, things progressed. We started dating. I eventually ended up getting married. Yes, we did. Congratulations. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks so much. And yeah, they all have started a business together and started Heidi Tai. So yeah, it's been an amazing journey so far. Oh, so it's Heidi Tai. You don't spell it out. Um, yeah, we don't. We, we for short, we just say Heidi Tai. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. It's hard. A lot of people don't know how to pronounce it, so yeah, we we try to say it phonetically when possible. All right, all right. Well, I, I appreciate you both sharing this story, and that's that's really interesting. And I love the fact that Yolanda, you grew up from the. Uh, in the military family, I grew up in a diplomatic family. That's why I moved. And and you, um, Omar, you moved to to England to um, was it IT firm or consultant firm? I mean, uh, accounting. Um, so it's it was one of the big four who primarily do uh, accounting and management consulting. But I, I was working at the time with the IT risk function. Gotcha. Because uh, my background is in IT and technology uh, security. So um, that's that's basically what I was doing for them and uh, worked with them for about six years before moving on to set up my own um, independent consulting firm. Uh, now, and the reason I'm asking this is because both of you had different career paths. When did you know that you wanted to go into business together? It's one thing to get married. It's another thing <laughs> to go bis- into business with your, with, your, with your spouse. So how did that come about? Yeah, it, so it, it wasn't something that we saw from day one. No, we didn't. <laughs> we, 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 we knew we both had interests, common interests around food. And those interests became more and more uh, something that brought us closer together. Um, so the food sort of dovetailed into travel, and we also realized, oh, hey, we like you know discovering, exploring new cultures and, and storytelling. So the blog became basically a platform to combine our creative interests and ideas into one place. And it just sort of grew from there, really. We, we suddenly realized that there was a lot more we could do with that platform. And so we began to put some structure around it. So I would say we sort of evolved into working together as a couple on this project. Um, not, it wasn't something that we actually started to see from, yeah. from, from day one. Yeah, we definitely in the beginning saw it as 
uh, just a place, like you were saying, to put our ideas together, a bit of like an online food and travel diary of sorts. But then when we started getting approached by brands, we just thought, you know, we kind of need to take this seriously. Let's go ahead and make this thing legitimate and let's talk about how we can actually work together. But by the before that, we had already, in a sense, already been kind of working with each other, um, learning how each other work, really. Yeah, learning our different styles. Different of, styles, uh, yeah. Work. yeah. Wow, wow. And, and you know what I love about your business, both of you, is that it's a real niche market. And I know that both of you have come up with a niche marketing strategy. A lot of people are always talking about, I want to do this in online marketing. I want to target brands. I want to tell my story, but I don't know if there's an audience. You found an audience, and I'm wondering if you can really highlight what your niche marketing strategy is and how other businesses can figure that out themselves. So we quickly realized that, um, that there, was a couple of things, there were a couple of things that made us unique. First of all, we are a black couple, and in the food and travel space, there are not that many black couples doing stuff together. I mean, you might find in the UK. Yeah, in yeah. the UK, you, you might you might find uh, you know maybe a solo female traveler, solo male traveler, but couples were were rare. So we thought that that in, in itself was a USB that we could start to develop because it meant that we first of all we had different we could bring different perspectives to our storytelling. Um, another USP was the fact that we were multicultural. So I am African, she's American, and we live in London, which is three cultures, yeah. you know, already in, in one. And we thought that, again, that gave us a bit of breath in terms of the kind of content that we could create and the way we could sell that to brands. So, you know, the, tr the travel space is very competitive, you know, and it's not, yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> it's not something that you get into without thinking about a strategy. And so we thought with these USBs, we could start to carve out a niche for ourselves. And that's what we've done. Whenever we put ourselves in front of brands, we always try to highlight our difference. Well, we, and for us, our difference is a strength. Oh. We feel we can tell that story, uh, tell, tell it stories differently because of that difference that we have. Huh. So, uh, so essentially, uh, essentially, you're using your differences to make a difference, huh? Essentially, it's <laughs> nice, one, nice one. <laughs> right, no, no, no. I, I didn't mean to interrupt it, but I, I, what I wanted to highlight before you continue is uh, USBs are unique selling propositions. So, if any, if you're basically what uh, Omar is saying is they found what was unique about them and what was able to be be sold, and their you know their value there, and they continue to highlight that. But um, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, so that naturally began to grow an audience around us of people who who were interested in hearing stories from a multicultural perspective. And we quickly realized that in this, in this content marketing, digital content marketing business, numbers might be important, but the quality of the content is even more important. And so we began to focus on developing quality content, engaging with our audiences and trying to, you know, actually solve problems that they had, answer questions they had, inspire them, educate them, inform them. And that basically helped us start to cover the strategy around how we go to market with our ideas, our content, and um, the stories that we tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of the benefits of marketing the way you all have is obviously you've got increased brand recognition, but there's reduced competition even in a competitive market, and then there's deeper customer knowledge. Um, and you, you can also target you know, high-end and high-yield travelers. But the thing that I do agree with you on is 
there's not enough of us, you know, a lot of black black travelers <laughs> being highlighted. I mean, sometimes when I see it, it, it's it's it fizzles out after like you know maybe six months of people like, wow, that's a new um, you know multicultural black traveling thing. But not there's not been one consistently, and and I, I think I, you know when when I saw you on Twitter and I didn't even know that one of you had listened to any of my podcasts, but I I just know we were following each other. I was like, these these people are really doing something really cool, and it's. It's amazing that they've created this niche market because a lot of times when I talk to African Americans or Africans in general, we there's not that sense of community where we have that, hey, we have a platform for us. And I love that you're doing that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. But we love your podcasts. Um, ah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You really kill it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So what you've, what you've done is basically you created a market opportunity. You, I imagine you have budget, but you also have expertise and then i guess my next question to you is do you know what the potential size and type of market it is that you have what's your demographic customer demographic yeah i mean our demographic is it has changed actually in the last year uh as we've begun to kind of seek out what the needs of our audience actually are so a lot of times you know you can come into a business saying, okay, I want to focus on these things and this is the type of content I need to produce to show myself as an expert in this particular field. And we just thought, you know what, we're going to come in and we're going to go a bit wider and we're going to show, um, you know, a bit, bit more of the landscape and ecosystem of food and travel. Mm-hmm. And as we began our journey and different brands began to really reach out to us because of our storytelling style, uh, the like our branding as well and how those two things kind of flow together, we noticed that our, our, our brand was really, you really started to attract uh, business owners who were interested in, or who had businesses that were mostly focused in kind of like sustainable luxury travel, ecotourism on the travel side. Yeah. And then on the food side, it was also food and tech food, like, so food tech, food technology um, was also quite big in terms of, our demographic. So to get even more narrow in terms of our demographic was definitely traveling couples who might earn between anywhere between like 60 to, you know, a hundred thousand a year, uh, you know, together or, you know, even a bit further up. Um, and that are looking to go out on trips, you know, have a bit of disposable income that are traveling three, four times a year, maybe even more. Um, our demographic not necessarily isn't that um, it's a weekend warrior as well, but it's not those people that are just looking to go on a trip maybe once a year. These are people that are a bit more familiar with traveling. Uh, and then we also have the food community as well. And now the food community, we got even more specific. These are people who have a very strong interest in multicultural food, uh, who have a connection to the stories behind food as well. And people that are spending money on, you know, eating and global food culture restaurants. Uh, so not just more so solely African restaurants, but those that are really invested into global food culture scenes. So that's definitely a bit more of our niche market to give you a bit, a bit of background on that. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I love it. And where mm-hmm. have you all traveled together? Because you have traveled to so many places. I love living vicariously through you all. So how many states, <laughs> countries have you been to? Um, so on last count, we've gone to about 32 different countries 
And I mean, we can't count the amount of cities we've gone to. Uh, last year was quite a big travel year for us. We traveled to, I think, 17 or 18 different countries just in 2016. So that was quite, yeah, that was quite a year. Iceland, we went to Nigeria, the homeland. Yeah, the <laughs> um, homeland. <laughs> the homeland. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, no, no, cool. And I, I want to ask both of you this question. So I was reading on, on Jumia.com that you both travel for the love of exploring and feeling of adventure. Now, I, I know that feeling. I, I didn't necessarily have the choice, you know, as a diplomatic kid initially. But then I, I, I just cut that bug early and I started doing it on my own. So can you explain what that feeling is like? Because you're practically living the dreams that other people want to live, you know, when they're um, in their offices sometimes. So what is that feeling like? And, and uh, that we feel very fortunate to be able to travel the way we do. We, we realize that it's not you know, something that's going to be always possible. You know, right now we haven't got kids, but, you know, that will change our travel style when we, when we have kids. But for now, we, when we visit a new country, it's, it's almost like a rush of adrenaline. It's, mm. it's, it's this sense of finding something new of, and being able to find the stories behind that culture, those, those cultures that we're experiencing and, and, and interpret those experiences to our audience. So for us, it's really just, um, yeah, it's just a rush to the head, really. Yeah, almost like the feeling of realizing that wherever you travel, there are so many layers and we feel like we're, we're taking on a responsibility as travelers to, in a sense, kind of unearth those layers as well, that not just show this very, uh, you know, just very faux, you know, outside appearance of what a destination might look like, but actually get to know some of the locals, have meals with locals, talk to people, yeah. you know, share those conversations, um, share those stories, you know, what's beneath the surface versus just, you know, beautiful beach and yeah. um, bright, bright blue water. Okay. And for us, it's also whenever we travel, we keep our eyes open for opportunities, opportunities to engage with locals and basically help them tell their stories yeah. as well. Uh, a good example is this lady we met in Zanzibar who was the only female tour guide, accredited tour guide on the whole island. Um, obviously, it's a Muslim culture, and the, many of the women in that culture tend not to work. So she, starting this tourist uh, tourism business, really put her out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, we engaged with her and found out that she had some great potential. So we took her story published it on our blog and promoted that. And through that opportunity, through that channel, she's had many more opportunities to expand her brand, learn a few new skills, and actually get a few referrals in the back of that. So, you know, we feel very happy to be able to make that kind of impact as well. That's that's amazing. And I, I love the fact that both of you do that. And you're intentional. That's the most important thing there. You're intentional about that. Uh, let's go back to you two. Now, I, I just went to my brother's wedding, I was saying, and my brother... Did not marry a Nigerian. So. Or from your, my, no, my, my parents are okay with it. But, you know, initially my mom would be like, ah, you did not, you could not find a, a nice Yoruba girl. You want to, you want to, you want to, you want to find that in America. But it, it, it was just that, that joke. But um, <clears throat> we went there. It was fun. It was good. She really loves the culture. And so does my, my parents. My parents love her. I want to know how it was for you when you told your parents, 
Omar, that you were going to get married to. It's an African-American, and you learned how it was for you when you told your parents that you were going to get married to a Nigerian. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I guess it was it was it was exciting for the family in general because I don't think they ever expected that I would go down that road. I didn't expect I would go down that road either. I, I, life just happens, really. Um, I had been in other relationships with Nigerians, and um, I, I was convinced that I was going to end up, you know, marrying a Nigerian. But life happened, and. As I began to exp- ex- expand my network and expand my opportunities, you know, Yolanda happened. And I guess at that point, my family were like, okay, just get married, whoever, just bring anybody, just let, let's do this. <laughs> so, yeah, I think for them, it was also an opportunity for them to, to engage with a, a different culture from ours. And so they, they really welcomed her into the family. And, you know, it's been great since, ever since. Yeah. Yes, I, I have a Nigerian name now. It's Fumi. Fumi! <laughs> yes, Fumi. <laughs> okay, okay. You know, uh, that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, and you? How was it for you? Yeah, you know, for me, telling my parents, um, they, they were just, they're excited. They're very multicultural. Them themselves met in Germany. And while their parents were traveling, and so they, they have a they have a strong love love of travel, and they've always encouraged me to you know make those cross cultural connections. Um, my dad always had a strong interest in you know West African history, and that he tried to pass on to his children. So they were they were just like bring on the party, honestly. Um, you know, and I mean you know the other side of it was that you know they were like you know Yolanda, there will be some cultural challenges. And I was like, you know, I know, I know, mom, dad, I, 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 and I appreciate you sharing that with me because I appreciate to have your support as well. So they knew the realities that there would be challenges, but it's, it's been fantastic. Our, my mother-in-law, mummy has gone over, um, from Nigeria, stayed with my parents for a few weeks for the holidays about a year ago. Uh, so it's been, it's been a great uh, way to bring the families together yeah. and for the families to learn from each other. So, and I think my family's even learned a lot more from his family. Yeah, and uh, dur- during the wedding, we did something that kind of brought both cultures together. We yeah. our, our wedding dance uh, was a, a fusion of different styles. So we had wow. a, a mix of jazz, swing, because Yolanda, Yolanda's a, a choreographer by background. Um, wow. But we also had like, Nigerian music um, as well. So we did a, a, a very interesting mix of styles, which helped to uh, bring both cultures together. Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a video of that? Oh yeah. I'm gonna go look for that video. I'm, I'm gonna go look for that video. That's amazing. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> um. So okay. So so I, I'm you know I'm from Lagos. Uh, my dad would always say, you're from Ogun State, Abelkuta, but I'm, I claim Lagos. I was born there. That's where I live most of my, my, uh, elementary school life. Where is your favorite place to, to go to, um, in Nigeria, um, Yolanda? Oh boy. Um, you know, honestly, it's so funny is driving along, um, coming from, it would have been coming from Addis place. Was it Mushi, the market? Mushi market. Yeah, yeah. Mushi market. It's, I know it sounds quite just random but from like from just like a photographer's perspective there's so many stories there and you realize it's just an incredible ecosystem in itself like you know it's not because there's music and dancing or anything going on it's people living 
just normal lives, everyday life. And you see so many things going on, you know, from the plantains being dropped off for, for the week and people sorting through plantains and, you know, the Danfos stopping, you know, urgently weaving in, you know, in between traffic. Crazy um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was probably one of my favorite places to just drive and and take it all in. And of course, I mean, there's places, you know, that I just enjoy going to, like uh, Victoria Island, uh, you know, checking out. We went to, what's the place? Alara, Knock, um, Eating at Knock by Alara. Uh, they have some really good food there. That's really fantastic. Um, also kind of dreaming big, going to Banana Island and seeing some of the the houses there that are just like out of this world. Uh-huh. Um, so things like that. Um, I love, we love, I loved personally going to Lecky uh, conservation center yeah. and, you know, going across the, the canopy walk. That was really fun this last trip. So, and just seeing a side of Nigeria that I've never seen, like it just completely contrasts. It just, it doesn't even feel like it's Lagos. So, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I, I mean, even for, for us uh, Nigerians, Omar, I think there are many places that we haven't discovered in our own countries. Uh, you know, yeah. I, was, I was reading your your blogs, and I was like, I have not, I had no idea. So, what about you? Where did you uh, find in Nigeria that was surprising to you and and also pleasant? Okay, so I I grew up in Lagos. I'm a a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Sir Larry Boy, and um, Lagos was, was home for many, many years. But I also went to uh, secondary school in Abuja, and I was in secondary school in Abuja at a time when the city was still very young, when it was pretty much still being built. So it was interesting to go back this last year after you know many years um, not having been and and just seeing how the city has evolved um, in, in very much, much much of it is very positive, but there are still challenges, obviously. Uh, but I, I guess for me, the, the lasting memory I have um, from my my time in Nigeria is when I was serving, when I was doing my uh, national youth service, I, I was posted to a part of Nigeria called Kwara State. And the, the guy I worked for was uh, an IT entrepreneur who had a client in neighboring state called Kogi State. And I would often take uh, local transportation between both states uh, to, to do some work. And the scenery along that route is is amazing. And many years after, I still think to myself, I wish there was, uh, I wish the tourism sector in Nigeria was mature enough to tap into that um, to, to use to, to basically leverage that natural um, phenomenon to really just attract visitors because there's so much that Nigeria has to offer mm-hmm. in terms of tourism that just hasn't been tapped into. Hmm. Well, then let's talk about that because both you bring different perspectives. 
What is it about the Nigerian culture that maybe frustrates you and also provides an area of opportunity? Because, you know, as a Nigerian, I, you know, when I go, I go back all the time and then I see many opportunities, even just creating a, a mall in several areas will, you know, will generate several jobs or, you know, working on the electricity or doing some of our infrastructure systems. But both of you have different, unique childhoods. What do you see? that can be done now for Nigeria as a country? I think, I think it's important that the country understands that there is not always going to be income and revenue coming in from crude oil. And the sooner those in authority engage with the private sector to start to develop other opportunities, tourism being one of them, I think that would help the country grow, move away from dependency on, on one resource and open up a lot of, of opportunities for entrepreneurs. Um, infrastructure is definitely a challenge, and I think that's, that's very frustrating. Even as a Nigerian myself, I find that traveling into Nigeria can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some drama the last time I went, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> this should not be happening. People should be able to fly into our country and not have hassles at the airport that immediately puts them off or gives them an impression of the country. That needs to change. Um, but also, the country needs to sell itself more. And I think the best way to do that would be to basically tap into the millennial generation, the youth, the people who are very active on social media, give them opportunities to see their country, to ex- experience their country. Um, and they will tell the stories that then attract people to come and visit Nigeria. Um, I hope that I hope the people in authority see that potential and actually start to do something about it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what what do you think, Yolanda? Um, a couple of things that come to mind. I coming from a, a family that owned restaurants and were really invested into the food culture scene in the states. Uh, I think in Nigeria, one thing I saw that was a bit of a deficiency is that established uh, food culture scene in terms of restaurants and and attracting tourism in terms of fine dining. I think there could, there's so much room for opportunity there in terms of training of staff and the service culture there, uh, you know, how food is presented as well. And not to say that it's not, I mean, everything in Nigeria, of course, is colorful, it's beautiful, but it doesn't always translate to the food and how food is presented as well. And I think that it doesn't have to necessarily be European. I think there's a lot of things that can be completely Nigerian and specific to also certain ethnic groups as well there that then translate to how food is presented. And I think it just, I think there just has to be a bit of um, a bit more training as well. Um, and an incentive too that, that, you know what, this will pay off and this will translate into conversions and into money. But I think that that connection there is just completely lost and it's not being understood. So that's definitely one, one strong area I think that could improve. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, for those listening, Nigeria is one of the largest exporters of crude oil in the world. And, um, over the years, there's been an increasing dependence on that, and, and that has come at the uh, to the detriment of other resources that might be there in Nigeria, whether it's farming, tourism, or just basically diversifying your economy. So that's that's what Amo is highlighting, and what Yulano is highlighting is the fact that yes, Nigeria is a country with at least 250 ethnic groups. Each of those groups have their own different types of food, different types of spices. 
those aren't being marketed enough. Um, you know, when people here in Nigeria, you don't hear about the, the diversity of the food and the, just the type of culture. And then with the service, there needs to be training and incentive as well. So people feel like they, you know, I, well, you know I'm excited to come to work. I'm excited to show that. Um, that's cool. That's cool. And I, I, I agree. Uh, this, that could be another podcast on its own for honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the one thing I wanted to make sure I, I, I touched on with you before we, we close was the... You know, you as an African-American, Yolanda, uh, you as a Nigerian and, and an African as well, an African in diaspora, um, uh, you know, Omar, there is this interesting discussion going on around black culture everywhere in the world. Now, I remember when I first came to, uh, when I first come, came into contact with American culture, it was I was in sixth grade. I was 10. My dad had just got posted to Burkina Faso. So we were in Ouagadougou. I was in a French-speaking country in an American international school with a very strong Nigerian accent. Now, I remember, you know, interacting with people and people sort of thinking I was inferior because of that accent and then eventually, you know, separating me from the African-Americans. And then, I, you know, I eventually learned how to just find my way across cultures. But it was a different experience when I came back to Nigeria. Then I had an American accent. People were like, oh, this guy, <laughs> this guy must be really high up there. And then I was like, but I'm just Nigerian. And then I went to uh, to college in, in in America. But then I would, it was already assumed to be African-American because I had an accent. And I was the one trying to convince them I was Nigerian. They were like, no way you come from Nigeria. You don't sleep with huts. You they were asking me about Lion King and all that kind of thing. So I'm like... What is it about this, about our culture that we need to do where we can, it's okay to highlight the diversity, but we shouldn't marginalize and say, well, you're an African, so you're different from us. Or you're an African in diaspora, so you don't understand. Because I feel, I feel like there's a growing division, but I feel like there's more opportunities if you come together and more education opportunities. Yeah, so for, as an African in, in diaspora, I guess I didn't realize... I was black until I moved out of Nigeria. That's true. That is so true. <laughs> I, you know, I certainly, what, what, you know, we, we, do, we, we do a lot of travel in the U.S. as well. And, and even in the U.S., I am reminded of my blackness all of a sudden, which was something I never felt um, growing up in Nigeria. I, I moved to England in my mid-20s. So my identity as a Nigerian and as a black person was fully formed already. So it wasn't like I was you know, battling, having a crisis of, of identity um, at, at that stage in my life. But then it, it just made me understand um, or appreciate my identity a lot more when I moved abroad, when I started to live abroad. Um, but one thing I've, I've come to realize is that identity as a black person is, is fluid. While I was born in Africa, I have, picked, I have since gone on to pick up several other dimensions or layers to my identity. I live in England and I have a British passport, so I am British as well. I have an American wife, and so I, I, I connect with American culture. Um, when, I, when we visited Morocco for the first time two years ago, I suddenly realized that, hey, there are other people who are African, like me, who claim African heritage, who are not black or dark-skinned. Uh, and so I've evolved in my understanding of my identity as a black person, and I think that has helped me engage mm -hmm. a lot more open-mindedly uh, with other Africans or black people in diaspora, and I think that's what needs to happen. We all need to evolve in our understanding of our blackness and realize that um, regardless of where we're from, we are a strong group if we you know, work together and leverage each other's strengths. Mm. Yeah, 
completely agree. Yolanda? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think living in the U.S. Uh, as a black uh, woman, uh, growing up as a black woman, or, you know, black child, I mean, I constantly saw things through a very racialized lens. Um, you know, I was very aware of my blackness at the age of five. You know, when I had an incident, uh, you know, as a, as a young white girl that I used to play outside with about five years old and we would play every day, but she would never invite me over to her house. And then one day she was sick from school and, you know, every day after school, we'd spend some time playing on the playground whatnot, and then, you know, go home. And what happened was that she, she, you know, she basically, she was, she was at home. She'd stayed at home that day. And I went, I knew where she lived. I went to her house. I knocked on the door. Her mother answered and she just gave me this look. You know, and I, I don't think I'd ever experienced that look before. And she was like, can I help you? And, you know, I asked if my friend was there and she's like, she's like, I'm sorry, but Tabitha won't be playing with you anymore. Wow. And sorry. And I didn't, I didn't mean to say your name actually, but, um, I apologize. But, um, I don't know. You know, I've never actually never um, you know, after we, I left uh, primary school, I never saw her again. So, you know, I have no clue what this, this woman has done in her life. But, you know, I went home and I was very upset. And I told my mom what happened. And she had to have that first conversation with me about race and, you know, why some people won't like me for the color of my skin. And I just... You know, it's just something that really hit me hard. And all of a sudden, I realized from that point that I began to see things through a very racialized lens. Sometimes I over-racialized and over-contextualized things that happened to me uh, based on my experiences of race. And it's interesting because sometimes I have confused, you know, what might be a racialized experience versus what might actually be a more national, you know, like someone who has a a very high sense of nationalism. And, you know, can you separate being um, racialized from being kind of nationalized? These things, you know, these questions I always have coming and, you know, happening in my head. And when I moved to the UK, and it was a very different experience, actually, for me, you know, as a black woman here, uh, dealing with race, I realizing that I didn't have to see things so black and white anymore. And I I really did see things in a very black and white way living in the U.S. And I realized that there was a lot more nuances that I had to really challenge myself with that just because that person gave me, you know, one of a weird look or, you know, looked at me a few times, you know, up and down, it didn't mean that they were seeing my blackness right away. Uh, They might just be curious and that then challenged me more as I began to travel a lot more and more frequently and have these very challenging conversations with people too and push myself out of the comfort zone of my own blackness and seeing myself as just being a black woman. Yes, I will always be a black woman, but um, not everyone sees things the way that I see them. And I have to open myself up to having these conversations and that's one thing that I like to encourage, you know, in our space, we both like to encourage in our space is, you know, having these conversations of, of race and having these conversations of, you know, dealing with um, our own racialized lens of how we see each other and how we interpret things that might happen or how we're presented 
you know, in the media, are our stories being told? And if our stories aren't being told, who's going to tell them? Well, we kind of need to tell them. So, yeah, you know, it's a much, I think that could be a podcast in its own. So I yeah. think they'll just have to have us back. Hey, we, we might just have to have you for what to do in Nigeria and then how to do the, the racialized lens of, of, uh, of blackness. Because I agree with both of you. And, and my experience, you know, I grew up in five countries and four continents. You know, when you pick that up at an early age, you, you learn how to find nuance because it's almost um, a survival instinct. If you're, and my natural personality is this hyper kid who likes, is curious about the world. So for me to be able to, to really tap into what the world had to offer, I had to learn how to, to deal with that nuance. And, and it's, it's a skill that I use today as a diversity and inclusion consultant as well with companies. But when I brought that question, I posed that question to you is I was interested in your responses because we are all, the three of us are black and come from different areas, but there's unity and then there's difference. And I feel like there's a way where we can celebrate those differences and also find the commonalities that exist within them. And, and I think that's, that's, that's the beautiful thing that you're, you're saying. And I think the more we do that, the better we will be able to learn um, here. And it really comes from what you said, Alma. We, we have to know our stories. Um, yeah. I think a lot of, you know, the, the stories that a lot of Africans might know the stories because they were from Africa. So they know where I'm from. Yeah. This day I'm from that state. But the further separated you are, it becomes harder because maybe it was taken away from you. You didn't have a chance to actually say, oh, I can trace my roots down there. So it's, it's a little different. But um, yeah, love that. Love that conversation. That's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <part two. laughs> um, well, as we wrap up here, do you always both agree on where you should go next? <laughs> No. no. <laughs> so I wanted to go to Cuba last year. She, she sold the idea to me of going to Cuba. So we and, bought the tickets. And then I wanted to go to Cuba, and we bought the tickets and everything. And then Zika happened, and she said, no, we're no longer, no longer going to Cuba. And I said, no, let's still go to Cuba. And she said, no, I don't want to go to Cuba anymore. So that Cuba never happened. She said, I want to go to Zanzibar. Let's go to Zanzibar. Uh, so so what, I, what I'm learning is that uh, you never win any arguments, Omar. Yeah, uh, you, you lose everything. <laughs> <laughs> you learn quickly when you when you're you know in this what? situation. He got he got Iceland. He, oh, you got Iceland. Oh, wow! I've never been. I want to go to Iceland. And you both got engaged in is it Norway? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Northway. Oh, wow. Oslo. Oslo. <laughs> well, I, my brother was born in Sweden, and and it was it's not that far from there. But I've always wondered what was that experience like. Did you plan the the engagement? Almost? Did you know that that was a country? Or did it just happen? It just happened. Um, I, I was really? looking for. I some... thought you planned it. Oh, I, I mean, I did, I did, I'm not trying to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, when, when we got there, there was a plan. So the choice of Norway as a country was, yeah, we just want, I just wanted something different. I didn't want something conventional. And oh, Norway okay. seemed okay. the most unconventional place to go. So. <laughs> Okay. No way. okay, I see. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, yeah, no, I mean, he, I mean, he planned it. He planned it. <laughs> that, that was always there. We would just, <laughs> we <would> just work. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, what are what are items that you can never travel without? Oh, oh well, cameras, cameras as the dual multiple. Um, definitely devices i always like to have i always have to carry a like a shawl like a like a, a scarf because i can double you know to cover yourself from rain getting cold on the plane wrap around your neck or you need a bit more modesty um or a beach wrap so i tend to keep it quite versatile 
Um, what about you? Um, a good pair of jeans, always. <laughs> you can use them as evening wear. You can use them as day wear. Uh, they're very versatile. Nice, yeah. Nice, but nice. Um, in the classic um, slippers for the house, I mean, in terms of flip-flops, I guess you can call them, uh, you need those. I mean, you got to have those shout for jumping in the shower, walking around on the cold floor. Uh, yeah, I always like to carry those. All right. And, and um, one of the things that usually hinders me from traveling is they cite safety. Um, now, I, I've my first nine years in Nigeria was spent in the military dictatorship. So I, I, I for me, well, my idea of what t- traveling is very, I have a very low risk tolerance. I can I tend to be this adventurous guy, but not many people might have shared my <laughs> my thirst for adventure or have experienced some of the things I've experienced. So they might be a little afraid or apprehensive if they're going to Jamaica, Nigeria, Ghana. What do you say to those people who are worried about safety measures that they should take? Well, safety is a concern, and we we wouldn't be irresponsible not to admit that. You know, in our current world, there are so many. Uh, uncertainties around us. But we try not to let that stop us. We, of course, apply wisdom. We always research destinations beforehand. We uh, use Twitter to try and engage with locals to see you know, what they think and what their perspectives are um, before making any firm plans to, to visit any particular location. Uh, Morocco, for example, was a place where when People said, when people heard we were going to Morocco, they were like, isn't that dangerous? And we said, well, no, because, you know, we, we know people on ground there who say it's perfectly fine. And we visited and we had an amazing time, even in, you know, in the desert, Sahara Desert, without any challenges. So just go, um, but do your research beforehand, but don't, don't let that, don't live in fear, basically. Always yeah, we always tell people, try to check out the political situation, go you know, go to Twitter, see what's going on with the country, you know, reach out to locals before going, uh, the trusted locals, of course, and, you know, make sure to check on, you know, the local embassies, register with your local embassies. If you have, uh, if you're really concerned about your safety, I think that's a great measure to take. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. No, I agree with you. I mean, I'll start to research, uh, and just making sure you're aware you don't go there blind, uh, and, you know, right. you should be good. And last question before I ask you the mission statement is, how can you learn how to travel more as a native as opposed to a tourist? It's hmm, a good question. Um, I would like to say to travel more as a native, to really seek to connect with local culture, um, participate in the sharing economy. So that could be in a variety of ways. That could be you know, staying with someone through home sharing, you know, using the home sharing sites or things, sites like Eat Local, where you can actually pay to actually have a meal prepared by a local and meet other people that are visiting or other locals that um, might be in the same area or vicinity that you're staying in. Uh, Just really try to contribute to the local economy and understand what drives the economy versus just coming there and, you know, staying at the the great resort. Now, believe me, you know, we've, we stayed, stayed at our fair share of resorts and we love our bit of luxury, but it's, that's just one side of a destination. So try to participate in sharing economy and make those cross-cultural connections and, you know, don't be afraid to uh, participate, you know, share, have respect, and most importantly, listen and observe. Yeah. Travel with an open mind. Travel with an open mind, participate in the sharing economy 
Listen and observe. Love that. Um, all right. Well, the mission statement of this podcast is use your difference to make a difference. So how do you both use your differences to make a difference? Well, we always – my background is I grew up with a single mom uh, and a family that didn't really have, you know, the wealth that my, some of my, you know, my peers at that age did. And so I'm always very conscious of, you know, trying to understand where people are coming from and not making assumptions about people, um, trying to listen to their stories and, and their pains um, before, you know, making any conclusions about them. So we try to, I try to apply that in, in the work that we do as well and always try to listen um, in the hopes that by understanding people better and understanding their situations better, we can effectively tell their stories and you know, ultimately make a difference in their lives. Oh, love it. Love it. Is that a new Yolanda? Yeah. Seek to invest into not just a wide community, but micro communities. There is power and the micro communities that we build. And within those micro communities, we can really learn how to meet each other's needs. So before I fill it, I guess before stepping out and feeling like you are trying to take on a big project and take on this whole idea of kind of saving the world with your idea is just really focusing on that micro community around you, because those will be the ones that really do hold you up and, you know, help you progress. And in the same way, you can do the same for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this has been a podcast with Amwa and Yolanda. They are from the platform. Hey, dip your toes in. How do you say that? Heidi Tai. Where can they find Heidi Tai? So we are at heydipyourtoesin.com as our blog. But we're also very active across our social media platforms. And the, hash, and the um, handle is at dipyourtoesin on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Awesome, awesome. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. And I just want to thank you both for coming on. This has been a very, very pleasurable and enjoy- that's not a word. A very, very enjoyable, <laughs> enjoyable interview. <laughs> oh my gosh, my my, my English teachers, my English teachers would kill me. Uh, but uh, thank you. I really, really have had fun learning about your story and what you've done and and the mission that you have. It's really, really uh, inspiring. Thanks a lot, Tyler. Uh, thanks so much, Tyler. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'll let you know when this comes out and we'll be talking soon. Till next week, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 